0: Previously, on Legacy Door.
1: You have completed the formulation of your request.
0: Yes. It seems that the flows of energy will be propitious, and therefore the actual procedure will take a minimum of your time.
1: She tried the knob. The lock he'd insisted on years earlier wasn't locked, so it opened into darkness. Looking for your womb, mate? Yeah. Do
2: you know where he is?
3: Down talking to your pops? Can't say what about, but I think they'll be at it for quite a while.
2: There's one thing, though, about what you're doing for Dad while I'm gone.
3: I'm sorry. I promise not to say anything about it to anybody.
2: Oh, (laughs) I know you can't say anything about the big secret. I I was just wondering how long you think it's going to take.
3: I'm sorry, Ben. I just can't help you
1: cast the mask into her eyes, there was nothing. A void of recognizable emotion. Dan found it hard to breathe. The eyes again reminded him of the cone creatures of his dreams. He shook his head vigorously. Arthur would be expecting him soon, and Dan wanted to be focused back on reality by then.
0: Legacy Door, Episode 2.2, Admission.
1: Daniel Litcher, 1:53 p.m. It was about an hour after dawn. He was in the passenger seat of the van as it pulled into the attached garage of the Dorn house. The automated door closing behind them. As soon as they came to a stop, he opened the passenger door and was out. He would let the blondes unpack the gear and their honored guest. He would go ahead and make sure everything was ready. The connecting door was propped open, so in a moment he was in the common hallway. Turning the corner, he nearly collided with a quickly walking Dorn girl, the younger one. Dressed in sweatpants and a long, fitted T-shirt, she looked tall and skinny, though not as tall and skinny as him. "'Oh,' she said, with the instinctive dismay he expected from people. "'Good morning,' he said, his friendliest tone dripping out between stiff lips.
0: "'In a hurry?'
1: "'Oh,' she repeated. "'I was trying to find my brother.'
0: "'We are all searching for something.'
1: He said with a smile. She smiled back reflexively, but her eyes batted around, impatient. Then, feeling the silence, she began to speak. He should still be... Um... Miss Dorn! The two of them both looked to see Arthur Dorn's henchman, Will Riley, standing at the end of the hallway. His face sharp, eyes shifty, muscles relaxed, but ready to spring. Yeah?
3: Your mother is looking for you. She's eager
1: to leave for the airport. I'm saying goodbye to Kevin first. That's not possible, I'm afraid. He left the house early this morning. His eyes remained shifty. Left for where? For the first time, Riley looked wrong-footed, caught not knowing which lie would best cover the lie he'd already told. Dan, Will said sternly from above him. Dan opened his eyes quickly, but the images from the dream persisted in his vision like sunspots, only very gradually fading away as his dream vision of Riley gave way to a very real Riley standing over him. It took Dan another moment to realize he'd dozed off on the vestibule couch. He started rising to his feet, recognizing the propriety of being in motion before being fully aware of what he was supposed to be doing. Without a word, Riley took him on the same walk he'd taken that morning to the study, only this time in silence. Dan felt hyper-aware of everything about the man he'd seen in the dream. Riley looked less tense and dangerous than in the dream, but far more so than he'd been with Dan that morning. Dan was convinced that the change was not wholly in Riley's attitude, nor in Dan's perceptions, but some combination of the two. Riley knocked on the door, hesitated a precise moment, and then opened it and let Dan in. Arthur Dorm was inside, alone his head flopped back against the headrest of his wheelchair, questionably conscious.
3: Is he all right? He'll live,
1: said Riley wearily. Dan looked at Riley for clues into the situation. Riley's face hardened.
3: If you have questions for him, you'd better ask them.
1: Dan looked back to his uncle, whose eyes weren't tracking, but did blink a couple times. Uncle Arthur? He asked. The eyes lit on Dan, and there was a freshness to them he would not have expected.
3: Danny? Yes, sir.
0: I am afraid I will not be able to do the second interview with you. I am sorry for wasting your time out here. Uh, We can discuss it in the morning.
1: The words were perfectly reasonable under the circumstances, but once again, Dan felt like Arthur was misleading him.
3: Okay. No problem. How is the treatment going? The
1: treatment... Arthur shook his head slightly with a disbelieving grin, as if the word were a euphemism.
0: It goes better than expected. About as well as could be hoped for. Apparently all the energy flows are propitious.
1: The wording of that tickled Dan's memory, like something out of another dream. But he couldn't put his finger on it his brain offering him nothing but gray-green cones and emotionless eyes. Dan dispelled these images, but this left him with no thought of anything to say. Eventually, Arthur spoke into the silence.
0: Tomorrow should do nicely. There will not be the same time crunch as this morning. Please, enjoy the rest of the day.
1: Dan nodded slowly. Accepting that the interview is over, but feeling that the words were just a means of getting him out the door...
3: Goodbye, Uncle Arthur.
1: Arthur gave a wordless but affirmative grunt in reply. Dan turned around and left the room. Riley followed him out.
3: I guess I'll see you tomorrow, then.
1: Him saying this struck Dan oddly. Like Riley was trying to manage both Dan's departure and his attitude, it gave Dan the perverse urge to stay...
3: Who all is in the house?
1: Dan asked, stopping when they reached the foyer. Nobody, said Will flatly, remaining behind Dan but clearly eyeing the door.
3: Just me and Alphonse.
1: Dan remained still and gave Will a cool smile, suddenly feeling like a real reporter, dealing with someone hiding a secret. The silence overpowering him, Will spoke again.
3: They're all out. Mostly at school.
1: Dan checked this against his mental list. Vanessa could be headed back to Drake already, Graham to Duke. Julia had said something about going college hunting, probably with her mother. That left Kevin, the object of Julia's dream quest, who was probably at his high school until at least three. Since it was after two, Dan could theoretically wait on him. Why would I want to do that? Dan asked himself. He could imagine a cheerful chat, but the morning's encounter with Vanessa had shown him how fraught such conversations with his cousins could get so long as their father was trusting him with information they weren't supposed to know. But the more he dealt with Riley, the more he felt inclined to follow the clues from his dream.
3: Do you know when Kevin will be back?
1: Riley flinched from the question. Then his face tightened as an eyebrow went up. His eyes became far more calculating and his fingers flexed. Apparently Dan had promoted himself from annoyance to problem.
3: Young Mr. Dorn is on vacation. So not back for a week. I need to get back to Arthur, so please show yourself out.
1: Riley waved toward the door and held the gesture. Despite what he'd said, he betrayed no intention to go anywhere. Feeling that this scene had played out as far as it productively could, Dan smiled, said, Thanks. Turned, opened the door, and exited. Walking to his car, he felt proud by how well he'd stood up for himself and with how little fear of Riley's evident capacity for physical violence. Perhaps the monsters in his dreams made human threats pale by comparison. Now, though, his morbid imagination entertained a scenario wherein the car was wired to explode and he felt glad it was a rental. He progressed as smoothly as he could through opening the car door, sitting, turning on the engine and pulling away without incident, He felt observed the entire time. He expected this to lift once he performed the usual ritual at the gate and hit the open road, but the foreboding only intensified. Dan examined this change of attitude. Just a few hours ago, he'd felt completely right in stonewalling Vanessa's inquiries about her father. Now he saw Riley and Arthur as part of some conspiracy. He found it hard to believe that a dream could turn him around like that, but didn't see an alternative explanation. His research into the logicians hadn't uncovered anything to turn him against those two. If anything, Riley's weariness of Arthur's doctors seemed ever more justified. But then why, he asked himself, did he now see everything that came out of their mouths as a cloud of lies, smothering him and blotting out all the light in the world? It was the photo, he realized. That's when it started. Uncle Frank, jolly and guileless, while that masked woman looked just as blank as the other. Not blank, he corrected himself. Alien. Alien, like the gray green cone shapes he'd glimpsed in dreams but couldn't recall in detail. When he tried, he just saw the two masked people again. Or two hands, fingertips touching to form a steep triangle. He sighed. He'd felt a little victory in forcing Will to engage with him, but wasn't sure what he'd accomplished other than making their future encounters more adversarial. The answer seemed to be nothing, unless these clues led him closer to the truth, some point of light that would lead him out of the darkness creeping in around him. His nightmares urged him to keep his struggles to himself, telling him that entrusting his thoughts to others would lead to betrayal, or at best, the alienation of anyone who finally saw the real him but his life experience disagreed. Brenda hadn't kicked him out because he trusted her, or because he was different. She did it because he shut her out. And that had left him lonely, intimacy starved, prone to fighting with those like Joyce who wanted to help him, and perhaps eager prey for those whose approval he craved. He needed help. The only question was whose. The readiest answer would be the people already dissatisfied with Arthur and Riley's answers. Julia and Vanessa. From what Dan had been told, Julia was on a plane and Vanessa was in a car. The car seemed more reachable to Dan. Plus, going to Julia would mean immediately telling her about the dream he'd had about her, whereas with Vanessa all he'd have to do was admit that he'd been wrong. His child self twitched at the thought of showing such weakness to his old enemy, but the growing adult saw that the move was not just necessary but welcome a chance to mend fences with someone who had put passion into his life at his very lowest moment, at considerable emotional risk, and then cost to herself. Perhaps they could never be the supportive family that they should have been, but their mutual quest might bond them into... something. And regardless, she seemed like the only sensible alternative to silently drowning in lies and darkness. Discussing all this with her would also explicitly violate the non-disclosure agreements he'd signed the previous day. So he resolved to think things through and be clever, which he hoped would be an
2: exciting new feeling. Vanessa Dorn, 2.29 p.m. Vanessa was also trying to decide who to talk to, but Dan was not on her list. Her focus was on the two families linked by the tragedy, the Reeses and the Strausses. The prospect of going to either one with wild tales of Harrison and Abby's theories was extremely daunting so she was letting the absorption of more and more information substitute for taking any positive step. She was doing this research in her room at a motel, in an upright but unfashionable quadrant of Chicago's north side. Friends had recommended the place as a clean and safe enough establishment to put up the visiting family of her cleaning lady, the best cover story Vanessa could think of. Part of her would have preferred a place with an interior hallway rather than the only access being through the shared balcony, but if the walk from her room to the street was exposed, at least it would be relatively difficult for someone to lie and wait for her. She'd be living off $400 cash she'd withdrawn that morning from the bank account her parents knew about, and a debit card drawing on a few thousand in one they didn't. She'd built up the ladder on cash deposits over the years, in case she ever decided it was time to cut ties and run away from her family. When she'd started this... The reasons for escape had alternated between the trivial and the vague. An unkind word. Them failing to take her side in a dispute, or pursuit of the secret that had driven her mother away decades earlier. But however immature past Vanessa's reasons had been, present Vanessa was grateful for her preparations, and would make her money stretch as far as she could. She had paused her research to ponder how best to do this, when her eye had indicated she had a message. She checked it immediately. She was trying to simulate still having her iPhone, and therefore didn't want to let anything slide. The message sound was unfamiliar, and she soon saw why. It was from WeeBabble, a popular derivative word game one of her old high school friends had insisted she install months earlier, so they could keep in touch by playing. She began to frown in annoyance. The app was not her favorite thing, and if she started playing, she could look forward to a series of pings each time it was her turn. But she forgot all this when she saw the words, Dan Lutcher would like to start a new game. Her mouth opened to say something caustic, but no words came out. Was Dan seriously trying to revive whatever friendship they once had through a phone game? Or had he hit some button that blindly sent invitations to his entire contact list? Him having her contact info was a small mystery in itself. They weren't social media friends and they had never emailed, texted, or called each other. But checking her own list, there was indeed an ancient entry for Dan, which she now vaguely remembered was from when they were all on a trip to the zoo, and the moms had directed everyone to exchange numbers in case they were separated. Apparently, he had migrated with her from device to device for more than a decade, without her being aware of it. Well, she thought, regardless of how he'd invited her, the next step was what to do about it. As little as she looked forward to playing with Dan, she realized that he was a unique information resource that she'd hitherto been unable to tap, and so she should suppress her instinct to swat him away. She touched the green spot on her screen, indicating that she accepted his invitation. The board appeared. As she took a moment to see what she could make out of her unpropitiously vowel-heavy letters, there was a player-to-player message.
3: I imagine you're on the road by now. But if you still want to talk about what you asked about, we can. We could set up something here. Maybe don't text or call.
2: Vanessa's eyes widened, and she finally found her words. Son of a bitch. Daniel Lutcher and Vanessa
1: Dorn, 2.56 p.m. Vanessa's revelation that she was not on her way back to school provided Dan with further proof that he should question his assumptions about the world, Her suggestion to meet in a park in what seemed like a very random Chicago neighborhood reinforced this. He'd already known that her inquiries that morning weren't as casual as she wished them to appear. But even so, her investigation seemed to be much more serious than he'd realized. He parked the car and started checking benches. She'd confessed to not knowing the park well and said she'd find a bench a little distanced from the street and playground. And so, he saw with a nervous thrill, she had, a few yards from the third base line of an empty baseball diamond. She was dressed just as she'd been that morning, ripped jeans and white blouse, but a moment's observation showed that the faux playfulness was gone. He swallowed a host of anxieties about the coming encounter and walked forward. All he had to do, he told himself, was tell the truth. What she chose to make of it was up to her. As he started towards her, she peeked at him from the top of her phone. The frightened, vulnerable, determined look in her eyes took him aback.
2: The peek had been initiated by pure nerves, but Vanessa then took the opportunity to observe Dan in a new light. That morning she'd been so focused on her own performance and his reactions to it that she hadn't really taken him in. His walk was now purposeful, his face serious, two developments she liked. On a different note, he'd doffed the jacket he'd worn that morning, and she noticed that in his short sleeves his arms had more definition than they'd had at fourteen, even if his overall look remained lean. But then she'd never minded that in a guy. "'Wait,' she thought to herself. "'What was happening here? Was she assessing him as a confidant or as dating material?' As
1: Dan approached, Vanessa pocketed her phone and seemed to avoid eye contact, up until he was right at the bench, at which point she looked up with a composed smile and made a show of greeting him and beckoning him to sit down.
2: So good to see you, she said, notably not using his name, trying to show with her eyes that this greeting was an act. You too, he answered, not fully understanding,
1: but following her lead, smiling and sitting down on the opposite end of the bench facing her. Her smile faltered. She put it back on, and it fell off again, and the intense look returned. Dan felt a different tension with her than during their clash that morning. He felt an urge to give her a reassuring touch, but stopped himself from acting on it.
2: She took a slow, settling breath and pitched her voice lower. So, what changed your mind?
3: I don't know what's going on,
2: Dan
1: replied, finding it easier to think clearly about the mystery than about her.
3: "'But I'm pretty sure Will Riley has been lying to me, and maybe your dad has too. "'So I guess I'm going to be more case-by-case as far as doing what they say.'"
2: Vanessa smiled sincerely on hearing that. He had recognized his ignorance, and that, she'd heard, was the beginning of wisdom. Plus, she noticed that the skin still crinkled at the side of his eyes when he smiled— Something she'd found infuriatingly cute toward the end of their childhood, when part of her had wanted to make something out of him. If he would just stop being a tool for three goddamn seconds. She faked a cough as an excuse to cover her eyes. Have to refocus, she thought. He was obviously waiting for her to talk next. "'What are they lying to you about?' she asked. He didn't speak immediately, so she took a chance on looking at him. He was eyeing her very seriously.' Weighing large matters. She liked the concentrated look.
3: Before I answer that, can you tell me why you were asking in the first place? For real?
2: Vanessa swallowed. He was asking for more than she told anyone, but she had to admit he had a right to know it. There's a lot. A lot. Let me start by saying, I think Dad is involved in something secret— Something involving Uncle Frank. Something that probably goes back a long way and might have involved your dad and my mom, too. My real mom. Something I didn't even suspect until last week, and I think it's approaching some kind of important... something. Right now. Either way, it affects both of us, whether we like it or not.
1: For a long moment, Dan silently debated whether he could trust her. Just a few hours ago, she'd tried to use touch, beauty, and the pretense of friendship to worm secrets out of him. Taking her new confiding mode at face value would seem unwise. Except that the web of lies he'd stumbled into seemed to both justify her secretive behavior and make a real partnership with her even more enticing than the fake friendship had been. He decided to go for it, and his priorities shifted to safety and secrecy. He looked around. The few people in the park, mostly women with kids, were all far out of earshot. He
2: looked back at her and said,
3: It's really good to talk to you about this.
2: The words could have started earlier, were out of Vanessa's mouth before she could stop them, plus a lip curl to match. She inhaled as if trying to call back the words. His reaction was a snicker.
3: Oh, man. You really are something. I was so scared of you sometimes.
2: She shrugged, managed a half-laugh, and bounced her head to one side. Well, I was scared that everyone would like you so much they would forget about me. They both froze in mid-laugh. Here again, Vanessa had let her real thoughts out without thinking. But this time, she wasn't so sure she regretted it. She wondered how different kissing him now would be from kissing him at the funeral. A creature part of her still wanted to be close to someone. Someone she could relax around and stop pretending to be normal. She shut her eyes again. She reminded herself that there was serious business to get through and they hadn't even started. She heard him take a breath and speak.
3: Okay. Still my turn. I found out some things in strange ways, so I'm going to just give the facts I'm sure of first so they may seem a little random and scattered, but if I go straight to my conclusions, I'm afraid you'll freak.
2: Ven's closed eyes filled with a picture of Abby pleading futilely for Vanessa to stay with her. Ven opened them and nodded. That seems like a very good idea. Encouraged, Dan took another breath.
3: Your dad is being treated by... I guess doctors? From some group called the Logicians? And you're right, Frank is involved with it. They're doing some kind of experimental, holistic thing. Something your dad's regular doctor doesn't like. And they've got a payment set up that his lawyer doesn't like. Something involving me and you. Do you know anything about that?
2: Nothing. Well, I knew he was up to something and that Frank has been around, but I had no idea it involved me.
3: Well, whatever it is, it seems like something about it goes way back. Like you said. But there are things happening now, like... Do you know where Kevin is?
2: Uh, probably getting out of school about now. He might have soccer practice or something. I'm a little out of touch with that.
3: Will Riley says he's out of town.
2: Dan shot back, gratified to see the surprise on her face.
3: He says on vacation and gone for a week. You have been listening to Legacy Door, Episode 2.2 Admission.
0: Jamie Gosling was the primary narrator. Teresa Echeveste was Julia Dorn. John Dre was Will Riley. Joseph Page was Arthur Dorn. Stacy Tappan was Vanessa Dorn. The opening music was Ethereal Thoughts by Victor Wayne. The closing music is In Dreams by Scott Buckley, whose music can be found at chosick.com and ScottBuckley.com.au. The Legacy Door cover photograph is by Roxanna Anash. This episode's cover image is Brown Wooden Bench Under Trees During Daytime by Hanadi Harishin. You can find more of their images on Unsplash. So, Dan and Vanessa need to talk about Kevin, as well as a lot of other things, and we'll be right there when they put their heads together in next week's episode, Feeling. And if you're feeling like supporting our podcast, please give us a review in Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Or purchase the complete book in Kindle or paperback from Amazon, or as an audiobook from many retailers, including Audible. You can find us as Legacy Door Novel on Twitter and Facebook, or see the family trees, transcripts, or other supplementary material at our website, legacydoor.wordpress.com. This and other fine podcasts are brought to you by Dueling Genre Productions. Legacy Door is copyright 2021 by Bob J. Kester, all rights reserved. This is Bob J. Kester. Thanks for listening.